The AOP is brought to you today by GG Poker, the world's leading online poker room. What makes them the leading player? Well, they have more players than any other site. In fact, GG Poker holds the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament since September 2020. They put fun at the heart of it in every game and have unique features that you can't find on any other site. They offer games for all skill levels, whether you're new to poker or a seasoned pro with popular games like Texas Hold'em and Omaha to unique games like All In or Fold and Spin and Gold. So what's in it for you? New players that make a £10 deposit get £60 in free play. That is a £10 deposit to get £60 in free play. So go visit ggpoker.co.uk. New UK players only. Minimum deposit £10. Full T&Cs apply. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. Get right to the romance and find the way to wow this Valentine's with 1-800-Flowers.com. From classic roses and bouquets to decadent chocolate-covered berries, gourmet treats, and more. Surprise your Valentine with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am here, I feel like for the fourth time in uh, in 10 days and uh, we're here to talk about a victory. I'm here with Alex. Alex, how are you doing today? Hey man, I'm good. Um, feeling more um, positive about everything, pretty excited. It was a bit of a touch and go game, but glad we got the result. So um, yeah, feeling pretty good. Looking forward to Wednesday as well. Isn't it amazing uh, how much difference a win makes to your week, just in general? Those those first two losses in a row genuinely caused me distress, and I appreciate that speaks to uh, you know my privilege in this world at the moment that that's the most distressing thing going on. But even so, you know we can only live in the reality uh, that we're given, and I felt like shit. Like, yeah, I was well. We took my just now. I was wondering if anyone else feels like that when uh, when we lose, and especially after it was a kind of loss, like the the nature of the Brighton one, which was pretty galling, pretty difficult to take. I just I can't <laughs> engage with football at all. I don't want to watch match today. I don't really care about any other games. I don't want to know. Um, but then when when we win, I'm sort of I've got a mainline Arsenal and football content. Um, into my veins, and I, you know, want to read every blog and watch every piece of analysis. So it's, I mean, that, I guess that's the beauty of it, and that's what's quite nice about the game. Yeah. I, so oh, well. oh, hello, someone's coming on the uh, the old WhatsApp. Um, I tell you what's uh, what I do miss about living in London, um, and what I get immensely jealous of. I love going to get a big stack of newspapers uh, on a Monday or a Sunday after we've had a after we've had a big win. You don't, you don't, don't get that over here. I don't have well, much on the Premier League, so you just have I mean, to. That's something from sounds like something from the nineties or early two thousand. Do you not just look at Twitter? No, it doesn't give me the same satisfaction. I, I think that in a in a world of digital, we seek out the tangible, and uh, I don't get the opportunity to to flick through newspapers anymore. And it's just a little thing that I miss. Okay. Um, but I tell you what, I don't miss no. Now, what I have missed, Wembley. 
And uh, it appears that Arsenal are going back to Wembley. It's kind of fake Wembley. Semi-finals not quite the same. Uh, but even so, um, we had a we had a, a, a solid win at the weekend. There was some good. There was some bad. There was some some ugly. Uh, I'm not I'm not one for tactical analysis, uh, but you know what what were your what were your thoughts on on how Arteta set up um, um, this weekend? Well, I think I think it's first. It's a good point what you said first of all about Wembley, and <laughs> you kind of forget that we just we scored a last minute winner away from home to go to an FA Cup semi final at Wembley, and it, it, that's sort of underappreciated, obviously, because there was no. No crowd there, but you can imagine if there had been, how excited everyone would be by that, and how how sort of void they would be. So I think that is worth sort of appreciating that. Um, but it was, a, you know, it was a great goal and a, a great way to win the game. I think in terms of the tactics, I don't know. It's um, you know, like I'm, I, I just, I just, I just find it really interesting. Um, the sort of tweets. To the system uh, that that Arteta is implementing, but they're but they're actually effective. It, it's it's not sort of tinkering in the way we we come to see under Emery, where it became sort of confused and players weren't really sure what they were doing. He's he's making he's got he he's able to make variations and adapt tactically, and I'd argue that's one of his strongest suits as manager. Um, to get the best out of our players and make us more than some of our parts. And I think I was watching, I meant, mentioned to you, like, and if anyone doesn't watch it, Adrian Clark's videos on, on the arsenal.com, um, where he does a breakdown of games are always really, really good and really interesting the way he talks about tactics. And he was saying, we basically set up with a 3 3 3 1, um, against, uh, Sheffield. And I think similarly against, Southampton, so obviously three at the back, but then Jacker is a deep line midfielder with um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Tierney either side of him. Um, but obviously, it's a lot more sort of fluid with that. And you, what you saw is uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles coming into midfield to give us an extra body um, when we needed it um, to sort of overload it. I mean, we could pass around Sheffield, who actually have a pretty good pressing team and pretty organised, um, and also creating more space for Pepe. And I think that's one of the the, the difference is we we saw that in the last two games. Probably what we saw this time was Pepe getting more of the ball and being more of the main man. Um, whether that's because Aubameyang wasn't playing, or whatever, um, it's just really interesting. And I think um, your what it seems to whatever nearly every formation or system Arteta sets up with is effective and at least me you know works for at least a, a good half of football until we get an injury. And gets the best out of players, and, and, and creates chances as well. And as well as the, the other interesting thing, I guess you're seeing as well as the chances we're creating and seeing who's thriving, um, is seeing who's not. And the, the thing that the, the sort of players that really stood out for me in that game were as being a bit out of their depth. It, with Lacazette is just not cut out to lead the line in, in, in a system like that. And I thought Kalas, well, Kalasinac as well, just um, even in a back three can't really defend still so I don't really know what, what his job is other than to be a sort of training cone um, yeah but I mean so that was my initial observation on the on the formation what, what did you think about like, how we set up and start and stuff like that yeah I think the way that he sets up for most games is correct 
Like he, uh, he hasn't had a, an absolute disastrous moment from a tactical perspective. And I think what's kind of refreshing, like I like following all the tactical people on uh, on Twitter because I, I I can't see it. It's just one of my weaknesses. I can can understand and compute what happened during a game uh, from a sort of holistic point of view, but like getting into the nitty gritty, I find quite difficult. But what is quite nice is everybody on the feed when you're watching the game quickly establishes this is what he's doing. And under Arsene Wenger, people used to kind of retrofit tactical thinking into what was going on when it didn't really exist. And under Unai Emery, I don't even think he really knew uh, what was going on. So I, I, I like that. I like the clarity of the system. And I like the fact that, that you know, there's, there's always a semblance of a plan um, to start with and the, and the players seem uh, fairly on board with it. I think the, uh, you know, we cause Sheffield United problems. I don't know. It sounds very odd to say that you know we're talking about it, but like Sheffield United are a good team. They've had a bad start to the season. They're uh, they're one point ahead of us in the league, and uh, and you know this is a side that will bully, that will press. And um, you know, I, I was concerned. I was wondering how the the, the heavy press was going to be, and it didn't really affect us. Um, you know, we had worked our way around it. Um, we opened up space going forward and definitely in the first half, you started to see glimmers of what Arteta's trying to bring to Arsenal in terms of, uh, you know, of attacking systems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think, I don't know, I think, I think we shouldn't, you know, it's worth remembering, like, we were, we are where we are and like, yeah, we've got history and pedigree, but we're not there at the moment, and we basically have struggled to win away um, more than a handful of times over the last couple of years. So two away wins on the bounce is actually really, really impressive. And I think, um, again, Southampton and Sheffield United, and given where we are, are not to be sniffed at. They're places we struggled and the kind of teams we struggled against previously. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, um, but we should get, um, you know, sort of, recognize that and that I think that is largely down to the manager I think in terms of uh yeah I mean what in terms of the attack it, what, what's exciting is is this is a system that um plays to player strengths um it's a system that's fluid so you see guys like Willock and Saka and Tierney and Maitland-Niles popping up all over the pitch but it's 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 there's method to it it's not just sort of chaotic and disorganized and the one thing I love that you, you never really see anymore that you used to see in the Emery all the time and and under Wenger is that there's not huge spaces everywhere and you don't see opposition players just ghosting through the middle of the park and you're sort of wondering where the midfield's gone. That doesn't happen anymore, um, which I think, um, again, it's a low bar, but that's a, that's a sort of fundamental we had to get right. Um yeah, and I, you know, as I said, I think Pepe had a, a really good game, and and you could kind of see if we go into next season, and we haven't got a Bamiang, could we build the team and the attack around him on the right and Saka on the left, for example? That would be quite an exciting prospect, and maybe Martinelli and Ketty um, and Ketty through the middle. Um, also, you know, and the other thing I was just you were talking about the, the players who who sort of clearly are struggling or not working in the system. You, you would never have guessed, I suppose, at the start of this, that guys who do, who are working would be Jacker and Mustafi. But they, they are like, and I know we talked about it before, but they're like the least of our worries now in a way. And the, to, to get players like that who 
we both sort of wrote off as a busted flush um, to be, you know, sort of solid seven out of ten players most games is um, is pretty wrong. Uh, sorry, it's, it's pretty impressive. I, I guess the thing that stood out with this game that that is the concern, again, and we talked about it last time, is, again, the sort of in-game management and there seems to be a bit of a rhythm to the game. So Arteta sets the team up really well. So we we tend to dominate the or play very well in the first sort of 30, 40 minutes of, you know, Man City game notwithstanding. Um, and the opponent, uh, the opposition coach will go into half time and come up with a plan to, to counteract this. And usually that the, t- the opposition team will come out with a slightly different setup and really gunning for us in the second half. And there is an element of, you know, we've got to batten down the hatches, but it feels like we we rode our luck a lot um, against Sheffield United and a bit against Southampton. And it felt like we could have made changes sooner to try and combat um, that onslaught. So I think the in-game management is still a slight, is still a concern for me. And any other thing from this, which everyone's talked about, is like the set-piece defending. And I, this is where it's like, is this a manager problem or is this just personnel? Like, we knew that guy, they were going to put someone on the near post. They did it about five times in the game. Long throw to the guy on the near post. We, we couldn't, still couldn't get to the ball. What, you know, how, how can you do that if you just haven't got players that are tall enough? And then also, what can you do in terms of the, their, their, the goal they scored? Like, if Holding's going to jump and completely miss a header, what? How can you litigate or mitigate that? What What can you do about that if a player just jump jumps at the wrong time? I don't, I don't know. Then to get better players. Yeah, it's really difficult to. Uh, it would. I think there are a few things at play. Like, firstly, like outside telling players to concentrate is very difficult to stop people doing stupid things. Uh, there's, it's a quality. It's a quality issue. I mean, it's the the thing that you could argue is that. It, it'd be great to have a defensive structure in place that could allow for a, um, a silly error like that. But I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you play that over again. You know, the the, the holding header is awful, but not quite awful enough. Um, so it, quite a lot to ask of Kalasanak to react to somebody that he thinks yeah. is going to head away. And then... It almost felt like there was a bit of a like semi error from the goalkeeper, but that you know, you know that that ball's getting struck from from very close, so it's difficult. So uh, I don't know how you get around um, mistakes like that. I think the bigger problem for me outside um, Rob Holding's error is it, is you knew it was coming. He didn't want to go on the pitch. He didn't want to um, face Sheffield United, and for years Arsenal have had problems with teams that play those high long balls um yeah. in in windy zones and then you then you had the sort of Rory Delap style throws that were coming into the box. Right. I played yeah. Sunday league, I used to be a goalkeeper. I was absolutely atrocious at dealing with high balls into the box like that. Nothing worse than a big looping ball that's coming down at you vertically. I remember a time when we um when I don't know whether it was like Bolton or Stoke or it's like Huddersfield or somebody, you know, one of those uh, scuzzy teams and when Fabianski dropped it on Fabianski they were shooting from corners uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's there's definitely a history of it and I think the the difficulty with the in-game management challenge is 
it's difficult enough to get a starting 11 on that pitch that can deliver on what he wants. And then as soon as he starts like reaching into the subs, it just, everybody gets, um, everybody gets flustered. Uh, and I, I still think a big part of it, and you know, the manager's got to work on this, but I think we go one nil up and I think everybody gets scared that we're going to lose a goal immediately. Like I feel like we drop deeper you know, the, in the second half against Sheffield United, it wasn't just that Sheffield United came, you know, out of the traps um, and were a bit more aggressive and a bit more purposeful in their attack. Arsenal couldn't string a pass together. You know, like yeah. all of the passing um, uh, dropped out, and it, it's like all of the technique that they that they've learned on paper, uh, like when it when it gets put under uh, under pressure, when there's a bit of heat added into the mix, it, it, it still collapses. And and I and I think the that's partly inexperience, partly inability um, on the pitch, and uh, you know a, a, a big chunk of it has got to be confidence. Like this is it. You know we are a team that doesn't win away from home. And you, that, you know, so do you think it's that old cliche of not having a leader on the pitch? And I was sort of turn my nose up when people said that, but you got you know like when you play, just having someone who's there, like kind of shouting and taking control and doing and it it still feels like we don't really have those kind of players yet and maybe they're the kind of ones we need to we need to bring in yeah the 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 press in the in the in the press conference after was saying that you know it's very noticeable that you can hear jacker like he's a very loud player he's always shouting and they said you know is there a chance that he could be captain again and arteta said you know i i need 24 leaders i need 24 captains um, I think the the bigger problem is less about um, leadership, but it's the you can be the best leader in the world uh, on a on a football pitch, but if you don't have the ability to at least come where come somewhere near close um, to to your ability to lead, it kind of falls flat. Um, and look at look at what Arsenal lack at the moment, right in the middle of the park. Um, like Granite Jack has been fairly good um since he's since he's come back but he still lacks mobility uh, he still has brain farts out on the pitch you know like he's he's where he, where he kept on falling over in dangerous places to win free kicks when he wasn't challenged he was diving uh, and he yeah. did it twice completely unnecessary there was a moment where he was racing forward and uh, you thought he was going to manage to get the ball to to Lacazette and he didn't he just fell over and led to a counter attack and then he did one on the edge of our box you can't yeah. you, you know that that's your best midfielder. Then outside that, you've got Danny Ceballos, who's just completely inappropriate um, for the Premier League. Like we, we don't have a six, we don't have an eight, and we don't have a, a functioning well, a, like a functioning number ten at the moment. So when the yeah. whole heart of your team lacks any sort of grit, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it. You put Tony Adams in defence, and it's still not helping out. So, um, but. Yeah, so I, 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 maybe you know, maybe better leadership would help. But I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's ability that's the problem. Ah. Yeah, well, that's what ironically, I think in a way that's why Jack Jack has got the character. He's always had the sort of characteristics of a leader. He's quite, he loves that stuff. He's quite vocal. The bit he was missing before was that he wasn't consistent enough. So you, you need to be to be a captain. On a, on, you know, football on the football pitch, you need to, you know, have those characteristics and be vocal and, and you know, rally people and all that stuff. You also need to be one of the better, not necessarily the better players, but someone who's reliable. 
Um, and it never drops below a sort of six, seven out of ten a game. And that's the thing. That's a why. That's why his picking him as captain previously really jarred with people because he was the least reliable player on the pitch in Emery's team. Like he was giving away penalties and free kicks and losing the ball all over the pitch. Now, ironically, now I know, given despite what we saw in the last game, he's a lot more reliable. So he's actually a lot more suited to that role. I would say even more than Aubameyang, who's probably a bit less vocal um, and, you know, not not sort of rallying players. So if you look at the team now, it's, it's yeah, it's probably Louise or, um, Louise or Jacques are probably most suited to be a captain. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I want long-term, they've got great futures at the club, but just in terms of that profile. The other thing I was just going to say in terms of, Defenders, because you said, like we said, you know, it's what can you do? With, is the answer just better players? I, do, I actually think one again, this is something Adrian Clark said. You remember when Arteta first came in and you saw that first training video of him, and he's showing the players like their body shape, mm-hmm. like how to stand when you receive the ball, like the most basic coaching of like a Premier League player that you should they should know, but obviously haven't been taught. And part of the thing about good defending and clearances and stuff like that is having your starting position and your body shape right to start with. And that's something like, you know, Ferdinand and Gary Neville and those guys talk about on, on that analysis. So there's probably, some, that's probably the bit that can be coached and, and probably requires some more coaching. And you can look at Mustafa as an example of a guy who used to go to ground way too quickly all the time. And he stands up a lot more and he's obviously learned that and, and made, added that to his game and made him better. I think the bit that you, you can't coach and where you do need different players is just aggression in attacking the ball. And you see that with, um, ironically, Mustafi's quite aggressive attacking the ball, but you look at, watch videos of like Upper Meccano and like yeah. his main quality is he aggressively attacks the ball and, and wins it. Whereas Kalasinac for like all his, you know, being a mad hard bastard, He's, he's like the least aggressive defender. He doesn't he doesn't attack headers. He doesn't really go into challenges. He's sort of, he's quite tame, which is quite surprising. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of contradicting myself, but I guess the point is there there is there are some improvements we can coach, but we we need a different profile of, of defender, I guess ultimately. And talking of uh, defenders, one of the surprise returns of the season has. Uh, been uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles returning into the fold uh, at right back and the output this time was impressive right I mean I I love Hector Bellerin Um, I think he's a standout guy he wants to plant trees for every victory that we have Uh, you know he makes trousers out of his mum's curtains but he's not looked right has he since since he's come back he lacks confidence a bit of that pace is gone and, um, you know, his surging runs forward um, seem, to, seem to have been curtailed. But um, Maitland-Niles came in, looked solid on the ball. Um, his power and pace and his ability to move into um, midfield and cause problems. I mean, it was great, right? I mean, was he the key part to um, Pepe having a better game? Yeah, I think he was definitely better. And, and this is the weird thing with him. And this is my constant refrain to you is like he, we know all those things about him and we know actually he's probably more mobile and probably better on the ball than Bellerin but for whatever reason he's not been 
Pitts, he's been frozen out. And, and based on what we've seen with other players, we have to assume that's because of his attitude or his discipline. It kind of, it's kind of, it would just be such, I think it'd be, I'd be more gut, gutted about him move, being moved on and not working out because he just, you know, he's, it was hair end and all that, but he's, he's just got a great profile for the team. And it just, it, you kind of wondered who's advising him to be, like you could be, because right back in our Athletic system is not right back, it's basically midfielder and it's, it's exactly perfect for his skill set. So I don't know what, he's possibly unhappy what he could be unhappy about or what other role he would want to play and where he thinks he would get a better opportunity. You know, he's not going to go to a team above us to do that. So I really don't understand it. And I, I really hope um, he's worked out whatever it is and he gets a good run in the team because for me, like, yeah, Bellerin, like, yeah, he's a top guy and, you know, the trees obviously make a big difference. <laughs> they do literally make a big difference, you know, Um I don't know, and I don't know whether with him, whether it's still recovering from the injury, or he's just not quite suited to that. Um, that the system, you know, some people said he's better at just a, you know running in straight, bombing forward in straight lines to the fight and, in, and putting the ball in. Um, in which case, I, you know, Maitland-Niles for me feels like a better fit long term in the team. So I hope he stays and, and works it out. And I think that I think the attitude problems or the non-negotiable that he probably broke is. I'm just referencing some of the things that Arteta said early on, but it was. I'm sure he made a a comment about you know you play where you're where you're told to play so you can do the best for the team, and we saw in, in vivid. In vivid color, what happens uh, to Mate Niles when he gets put in a position that he doesn't want to play, and he got that red card um, earlier on in the season um, when he was playing right back under Emery. And I just wonder whether he either came to a realization that actually playing games is is good, <laughs> and now he now he wants to do what he can for the team, or maybe he's been convinced. But whatever it was, it certainly worked out at the weekend, and I wouldn't mind wouldn't mind seeing that um, in our next game. Because yeah. but, I mean, could could you imagine if you like sign? So if you're him, you've signed for Arsenal as a youngster when you're like nine or ten or whatever. You spend the hot ten years of your life trying to get into the first team. You get into the first team, and then you kick up a stink about the position you're playing in. And it's like, really? You know, I it, just find it really bizarre. Like, why yeah, you-, you know, it's a, it's the same. Um, like. Well, with, so I, I I work with a, a lot of young people, and it's uh, it's difficult getting into a, a job in uh, in advertising. And not not that I have any of these problems now, but you know, people people will come to you, and they're so enthusiastic to get that job, and they're like sending you emails, like the you know like cute resumes and follow ups, and like maybe this is interesting. You're like, wow, this person. They really want this job. They come in and they're like, I'm so happy to get this job. And then six months later, they're like, I'm not doing that. This is shit. I'm not doing that. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like six months yeah. ago, what were you doing? And I feel like it's the same with football. You think the, these footballers, all they want to do is be a professional footballer their entire career. And they're on £170 a week. And then bang, they get, they're getting 40 grand a week. They get their first professional contract. And then they completely forget about how much they wanted that job. So it's... Yeah. Um, and it's especially it's especially interesting the attitude problems that you get, particularly when it's young players, when you've not really yeah. done much. Yeah, I always wonder if it's a, an agent dripping poison in their ear and saying, "Oh, you, you know, you should deserve more than this." But it, it's difficult. It just seems 
it's just he seems such a good fit the system and it's like like it's his boyhood club I, I just yeah yeah i just find it really bizarre yeah so do i so but so overall um a, a, a positive game we've come away with a win and i think racking up away wins at the moment is very important as we try and restore um confidence and and you know build that muscle memory so uh, man city in the semi-final replay of 2017 followed by Chelsea in the final I suspect um, Alex are we going to win the FA Cup final in 2020 oh yeah no worries it'll be fine nailed on right nailed uh, on well that's no that's my hot take that's take the hot take alright so we'll move on um, from the FA Cup game uh, now I want to I want to return to uh, squad issues because there's a lot of talk um, about what's going on behind the scenes with the squad and like particularly on, on on my website but like there are obviously a group of people that will attack any decision that Arteta makes but uh, we saw I thought I thought we saw the perfect example this weekend of um what standards and non-negotiables mean and how good leadership is about setting rules and making sure everybody abides by them the same because we saw Matteo Guendouzi, arguably one of the most talented midfielders in Europe, 20 years old. Um, he didn't travel. And Meza Ozil, um, one of the most gifted playmakers to have graced the game, he also didn't play. Um, some people uh, are saying that Arteta is, you know, behaving like a, a mini Napoleon, um, and you know he's not treating a young player very well. And uh, some people, you know, think think the opposite that this is um, this is how you set standards. And if it, you know the, the demise of Emery was very closely linked to his inability um, to show consistency through leadership. Um, where do you stand on uh, the Gwendozi Meza Ozil um, debacle, cloud, whatever you want to call it? Well, I mean, uh, my starting point, based on everything I've seen and heard, is that I, I trust Arteta and I trust his judgment, and I, I think he's he's been clear that you know he's dropped players before when they their attitude hasn't been right or whatever, and he's brought them back in when it has, and he's that's happened with countless players so I, I don't have any reason to doubt it's different this time um, the, the funny thing is the difference between you know when Emery did it and when Arteta did it obviously first of all Emery wasn't consistent but the, I mean the reason you know we, we haven't lacked creativity without Ozil we're creating chances so I didn't even notice he wasn't I mean there's, there's, the, the people clamouring for him to be put back in the team are getting fewer and fewer by the week because we're, we're not missing him um, likewise I, I don't know how much we missed Gwendouzi um, against Sheffield maybe, maybe that'll change but um, that's an interesting thing for me I, you know I think it's we, we sort of discussed it last time I think there's a culture problem at Arsenal it's not a winning uh, high performance culture and it hasn't been for a couple of years and there's two. You know, it's it's not the fault of the individual players. They they're given the con. They were offered these contracts. They you know, we we offered them roles at the club, but they they and they're young guys. But they they've come to a place where it's sort of fine just to get along and you know enjoy it. And you know, we want to win and stuff, but it's not really life or death. 
Um, and I also remember that that Fabregas interview from a couple of weeks ago or months ago, where he was talking about that uh, um, the, the sort of moment he decided to leave Arsenal was after they had lost the game and he got on the team bus and people were laughing and joking and he realised these people don't want to win as much as I do. And I, I kind of wonder, you know, that was 10 years ago and I, I think that's pervaded the club for a long time. So I think if we really are serious about turning things around, we need to get rid of that complacency in that culture. And I think Ozil, perhaps not necessarily through any fault of his own, we offered, it was our, we offered him that contract. Of course, he was going to take it. Um, but he's come to sort of symbolise that that culture, and you know, just taking days off and not not you know not not showing up when he doesn't feel like it and stuff like that. So you you have to weed it out, and I think Quendouzi represents it in another form, but potentially, or at least it sounds like that. You know, it's um, it's not about the club, it's not about playing for each other, it's about him. Um, so uh, you know, it makes sense to me, and I think the. I hate sex. I, you know, I said to you before, like, I'll never forget when we signed Ozil and, you know, I'm, I'm not unique in this. I, I was so enthused by him as a player before then. I, I just thought he was a, one of the greatest players in the world at that time. So when we signed him, I was, I was so happy, but I just think it's, and it's just funny how we've got to this point now. I just think it's, it's best for everyone if he just leaves as soon, as soon as possible because he's become this sort of albatross around. Um, the neck of the club, um, and and it's got to be infecting the you know that sort of attitude has has to have an impact on the rest of the dressing room. And and with with Gunduzi likewise, I think if he's going to be a dick, then if we can get good money for him, then fine, move him on. He's not that important to the team. Yeah, Mesut Özil is a complete mystery to me. I just don't know what went wrong um, mm. for him. I don't know why his level dropped. I don't know why he didn't want to adapt his game. Um, I mean, maybe winning an effort, maybe winning a World Cup changes you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know some players, you know, once you've hit the peak and you've, you've you know, you've won everything, it's very difficult to motivate yourself. But, uh, but I do not, Sorry, do you not think what changed him was that contract and getting, and then it's like that, that it was almost right after that that he just he dropped and I think you know he's got older as well and stuff like that but it felt like that was when he he just gave not didn't give up but the, the effort definitely declined and I think I it, again it's just being sort of poorly advised it's sad to see because it's like you, what, what do you think is going to happen after this what do you think your legacy is going to be you know, you could have been you're, you could have been one of the all time greats, but now you're sort of re- going to be remembered as a, a bit of a a, waste, a wastrel. I don't know, but it felt like the contract was a turning point. Yeah, like a, a second term president doesn't have to face yeah. the electorate anymore. He's finished. Yeah, yeah. But I, I still, I still don't understand. Um, I still don't understand it because even after Arsenal, you still want to get a job at another club, and now he's in a situation where. Even as a free transfer, you'd really have to worry about whether that investment was worth it. Whoever you were, right? You want to return. He's obviously not gonna. It's not gonna take twenty five grand a week somewhere, um, and it must be really difficult work for his agent because, like, how, how do you sell Mesut Özil to anybody? What has he done? I, I, I saw a tweet. Someone was like, Andy Carroll has more assists in uh, in the last eight games than Mesut Özil has had in the last two years. And she's just like. That's fucking crazy. 
Um, you've got to think he's going to get a big payout in, with a Turkish club. Um, well, they're, 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 they're trying to crowdfund it. I don't know how. I don't know how much money is really in the Turkish game, right? There's so much corruption um, that's been going on, um, you know, with their with their mega clubs. I don't know who'd. Um, I don't know who'd pick up the tab. But um, the other weird thing we talked about last summer is like he was actually good before the break. Like with under Arteta, he played every game. He was working his socks off. He wasn't probably as impactful as he used to be. So again, it's like something's happened in the break that has just completely offended all everything. And it's, it's all the same with the Ames mate and Arsene. It's like you kind of whereas with Gwen Gwendozi, it's, it's pretty clear, you know, from the reports you hear what the issue is. Whereas with Ozil, I just don't understand what happened to him during that time where he's moved from being like a mainstay of Arteta's team to not even getting on the bench. It's a weird one. I feel like the um I feel like the difference with the with Arteta and maybe Unai Emery is I, I feel like Unai Emery went a bit fire and brimstone with dropping players. You know, like when he when he dropped Aaron Ramsey, it was a massive statement. You know, like it dropped him from the team, cancelled his contract, caused a massive um, massive uproar in the press, and it was kind of similar with Meza Özil. And I, I think that the what Arteta is doing quite nicely with all the players that he dropped is he doesn't really say much. Just says you know like like Meza Özil, you know when he when he's back to his best and he's giving me what I need in training, then we can talk. It's not a big deal, um, but. Even so, it's frustrating that every single game the conversation is always around Meza Özil and whether he's there or whether he's not, and he's got such a rabid fan base, um, yeah. uh, such a revisionist fan base as well that it makes it um, it makes it difficult to concentrate on what matters. Yeah, which is probably why it's best he, you know, just moves on. I do, do you think there's any chance? He'll go this season. I just can't see it happening. I think this, this I think that the club is going to have to come to some sort of agreement. Um, you know, remember back in the day um, with the Nielsen, we just yeah. we just came to an agreement with his contract. You know, you say, "Hey, Meza, we'll pay you out half of your contract for the final year up front in cash, um, and then you can go on a free transfer and you can pick up a big signing on field, do what you want, but we just can't have you at the club." Um, yeah. And I, I wonder whether that's an option. I mean, we did try and. We, we did go all out to get a fee for Koscielny, so I don't know whether we're in the financial situation um, to do that. But like, uh, he he's a problem. Um, uh, Matteo Guendouzi, I, I think the I think that there are two things. Like, firstly, he's been problematic um, for the last three managers. You know, general attitude. Um, you know, there's been some problems with uh, some of his behaviour or some of his some of his <laughs> some of his beliefs um, about what he should and should not be doing. And I think they had he had the blowout in Dubai, two two rounds in the training ground. So obviously he's done something again. I don't think that he's being dropped because he mouthed off about you know yeah. Brighton players being peasants. Um, but I think I think the 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 problem with Gwendozi is I don't think he's in a strong enough system to be absorbed. And yeah. I think that the club doesn't have enough saleable assets this summer to really make moves and I think Arteta is probably looking at the trouble he's getting from the player yeah. um, the lack of application on the pitch I mean the, the, there aren't many worldy performances that we've been seeing from Guendouzi of late certainly not under Arteta um, and I think you know if you could if you could get 50 million for him or you could use a young 20 year old 
um, French international midfielder as a make weight, you could probably do quite a lot with him because the rest of Europe hasn't cottoned on to his behavior yet. And mm. I, I also think that if you put Guendozi into a Simeone system, he wouldn't be, he, he wouldn't have room to maneuver. I mean, that's a club full of leaders, big game characters and winners. And I think that maybe you could absorb his rough edges in, um, in a system like Atleti or with a coach, um, with the prestige of, of Zinedine Zidane. So maybe it's just, a, a, you know, a right player, wrong fit. Well, do, do you think it's, I don't know if it's the issues is application. I think it's just discipline and just not really having much position. Like he's sort of like a, 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 a firework that just runs around all over the pitch trying to, trying to do a bit of everything, which as I said, when you're, when you're in an Emery system that's total chaos anyway, that makes you look great. But when you're in a, a much more disciplined sort of Pep Guardiola, Bielsa type thing where everyone has a, a clear role, it doesn't work as well. And I, I think that's probably where he's been less reliable. See, I, I, I think the application in the modern game is discipline. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, you know, we were a, a lot of we were having an argument the other day with some people on the website, and you know, the I think people sort of sometimes have a bit of a, an eighties view of football where you could have a George Best who could do what he wanted, or a Diego Maradona that could you know do a line and then score three goals in, in a World Cup. I I think the elite players, like part of the elite. I don't know, ability set is now discipline. Like Lionel Messi is boring. Cristiano Ronaldo in the main yeah. is an extremely boring player. Um, I, I don't think that you can get to, um, to the highest levels in football now being a dickhead. And I'm trying to think of like how many, how many out and out idiots are there in the Premier League now that are, you know, going off the rails. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to. Well, you know, like who who drinks alcohol? Who's rumored to be up to mischief? Uh, you, you you don't really get much of it. So, I yeah. I, I think that the that Matteo is going to have to change. I don't think that he can be that that wild child. But again, it must be so difficult. Imagine imagine if you were twenty. I knew you were twenty years old. Imagine if you were twenty years old and someone gave you forty grand a week. We would yeah, not yeah, be yeah. here well, talking right why, now. That's why the, the, you have to caveat all our criticism of these guys with the the fact that they're incredible athletes and actually yeah <laughs> I mean to do it's not even like the training it's the discipline for like the other 23 hours of the day when you're not training just to not yeah not spend your 40 grand on um, on going out <laughs> yes when you're running um, you have to fair play to him but yeah I know I agree it's um, it's difficult and he's you know he's I just don't <laughs> I, th- I think this is part of the, the new thing now. And if we can buy buy low and sell high and use that to bring in a player who does fit in the system, then, you know, that, that's fine. I'm not going to get sentimental about it. I guess the question is, who would you want to bring in? And the one, the name we could, do you think we keep getting linked to Thomas Party? Do you think there's any truth now, any chance that it could happen? I think if, um, I think if, if uh, Atleti, could get rid of Thomas Partey and have a good story for their fans. I think they take it. And I think the problem that they've got at the moment is 
Alex Lacazette for Thomas Partey is a really, really bad deal uh, for yeah. Atleti. So I, I suspect, well, my guess, look, the, there is a lot of noise in the media and it comes from Ghanaian news sources. It's definitely his family drip feeding. I think that there's probably a lot of pride um, in a, you know, an, an African player um, playing for Arsenal. You know, we've got quite a, quite a big heritage, you know, go back to um, the Kanu. I mean, even just London in general, like uh, SCM played for um, Chelsea. You know, there's, 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 I think there's a lot of excitement in Ghana uh, about him coming to London. And yeah. my guess, I mean, I, I read that he'd spoken to Arteta and been convinced of the project, but I'd imagine that the, the speech that you'd give him is we will build an entire team around you. You will be like Patrick Vieira for, for 2020 and um, we're going to go all out to build a Premier League winning team. If we swapped Gwendozi for Thomas Partey, I think that that would be an incredible bit of business and I, I don't know why they wouldn't be interested in, in that sort of move. Yeah, they get a younger player. Yeah, they get a younger player. <laughs> so, I wanted to move on to this, the second part of, uh, of the podcast because um, I'm excited about um, Arteta. I'm excited about some of the, the young players that we've got coming through um, through the ranks. What I'm not uh, excited about is uh, Don Raul uh, and Edu. I think the, they're, um, they're, they're not running a steady ship. I feel like we're rudderless. I don't think that there is a, a vision in place and I think the strategy to get back to the top has been clear since 2017. It's kind of bringing players that are, that are top four-ish, maybe on the back nine of their career, and hope that they can kick us over the line. Um, it hasn't worked. And yeah. Liverpool just won, won the Premier League. And I've got, a, I've got an article coming out. I mean, when you listen to this podcast, it'll be this morning, um, the, the highlights that Liverpool were in a worse situation than us in uh, 2015-16. And um, the big pivot for me, the big thing that went wrong was the season, uh, I think it was 2015-16, where every big six club basically had a change of manager within that particular year. Everybody was in turmoil. And Arsene Wenger had had, you know, 20, 20 odd years of stability and we lost the Premier League to Leicester City. And that summer, instead of somebody in leadership saying, you know what, like if Arsene Wenger can't deliver us the Premier League and Claudio Ranieri can deliver one for Leicester in a season like this, we've probably got the wrong coach. And instead of moving him on, and, you know, like signing up uh, like a young coach who, who was doing exciting things. Uh, we gave him 150 million quid. And, and I was... Is that the summer of Xhaka? It was the summer of uh, Jacka, Perez, Bramall, Asano, um, oh. M- and Mustafi. That must be the single worst transfer window in history of any club. Uh, yeah, it was it was the worst summer, and and, and really like look, there there have been a there's been like we've been in decline for years, um, but the, I think the tipping point for things going really wrong was a lot of Arsenal fans were like, you give Arsene Wenger some money and he'll bring us back to glory, and then we gave him that money and he completely fucked it, yeah, and yeah. 
uh, you know, Liverpool picked up Jurgen Klopp that season, and they were they t- he took them tenth to eighth. Uh, and then the the interesting thing that you know we just want to talk about is you know, a lot a lot of people think that um, getting to football greatness um, again for Arsenal is an impossibility because we don't have a sugar daddy. But Liverpool Liverpool don't have um, you know they've got rich owners obviously, but they don't have a sugar daddy. So I started doing um, started doing some of the numbers uh, because I was I was getting quite excited um, uh, like about the comparisons because. I, I want people to have hope, and we can get somewhere in five years. So I did. Um, I looked at the the, the net spend of um, of both clubs, and Arsenal have spent wor- like an unbelievable sum of money compared to Liverpool. You know, um, uh, Klopp's net spend is ninety million dollars. Yeah, um, and I th- I'm pretty sure. Unai Emery's net spend alone was two hundred million dollars. So the, like Pepe and yeah, so um, Liverpool um, j- just before you know the twenty fifteen sixteen season, they gave Brendan Rodgers. Um, you know, he spent one hundred and forty million and brought in ninety nine. He bought Benteke, so that was kind of like their ground zero. Um, and then Klopp's net spend in his first season was, um, you know, he earned the club six million. The second season, they made twenty-two million on player sales. Didn't not until his third season um, did they really splurge. And by that time, um, I believe that that was they made they made a Champions League final, mm. so they racked up the prize money. And then the staggering bit of information just before I end this rant um, are the wages. Um, Liverpool, Liverpool's wages um, over the last five years uh, are about 100 million more than Arsenal, all in. And, and most of that uh, comes from the fact that you know, their wage bill jumped from 208 million in 2017-18 season to 309. But you know, the, the trappings of success are very linked to that. What, what does that... What, so do you think... Why do you think there's disparity between their wage bill and their transfer spend what does that mean so uh, so Liverpool's um, Liverpool's wage bill uh, like under Jurgen Klopp obviously grew but they kept the they kept the net spend down yeah on on transfers so they they, um, I just think that they've run a they've just run an incredible uh, an incredible operation. I mean, like Liverpool's net spend in five years is 131 million compared to Arsenal's 330 million. So and that is ludicrous. It's ludicrous because what have we got? We've got squad sitting in what tenth place in the Premier League at the moment for 330 million outlay on wages. I the only thing I say. I mean, there's a couple of points and all that that just make me want to cry. Like, imagine if we got caught. Um, instead when Liverpool got him or, or Pep and how different things could have been it's also worth remembering that um, Liverpool didn't spend well at the start of um, what, what's the name of uh, the Red Sox guy Fenway Group yeah Fenway Group at the start of that they, did, they didn't spend well and they, they had a couple of iterations of a team uh, that was sort of costing mistakes but the, the main thing for me the reason they are where they are now is because they completely embrace data and not just in terms of um, player signings, but in, even in terms of the kind of coach they pick. The, there's the sort of 
the staff they brought in, how they approach throw-ins and corners, everything is data-driven, the approach. Um, and so the thing that really worries me now is as promising as our test is and some of the young players we've got, we are moving, we are so far away from that approach at the moment. You know, we, we, we work further away than we were when Wenger was here. So we, we sold stats DNA. We got rid of our scout who was, um, you know, all, all about the data. And it just feels like if that's the template for that, that is the new template for success. And especially when you don't have lots of money to play with, why are we not, why are we moving away from it? And the reason we're moving away from it is because we've got a guy in charge who doesn't understand or care about that stuff. And the reason we've got a guy in charge who isn't prioritizing data is because the ownership don't care about their, their folk, their entire focus isn't Arsenal winning. They've got all these other franchises. Arsenal's probably like, you know, a, a secondary interest for, for the Cronkies. And so the, the entire focus isn't about winning. So we're not looking for and embracing the sort of newest um, ideas in the game that can make us successful. And that's the, the, that's the really interesting thing about uh, the Cronky family that I, that I don't get. The, they don't have an interest in winning. They don't seem to have an interest in making money either. You know, Liverpool, Liverpool have an interest in making money. Like Liverpool um, basically proved that you could be a selling club and still win the Champions League. Um, but Arsenal's wage bill is disgraceful. Um, our, our net spend is $330 million over um, the last five years, which um, I think puts us in the top three in the Premier League. So it, it, if you've got an ownership that doesn't really have a vision for owning sports clubs, I mean, it should, like it, for me, owning sports clubs should be about winning uh, or at least trying to work out what the formula is there. But yeah. they don't seem to care much um, for that. And then uh, they're not really bothered that they've got a guy in charge like Raul Sanelli, who it, who doesn't seem to want to at least do things to, uh, to to some sort of best practice. I mean, he's um, the the Ian Graham story, who's the you know their lead data guy at Liverpool. He joined Liverpool in 2012, the same year that Arsenal bought Stat DNA. Stat yeah. DNA was well ahead of its time. Like yeah. well, well ahead of its time. Exceptional data, but w- we bought a, a shiny toy, and then you know we put it in with a group of people that didn't want to activate it. And then mm. finally, Ivan Gazidis gets control of the club, um, has the ability to implement a plan. He takes Barcelona's fixer, who can yeah. you know work on all the things Wenger didn't want to touch. They brought in Sven Mistentat, Diamond Eyes, one of the best scouts of the last fifteen years. Yeah. All the while, he was negotiating a deal with AC Milan. Then he left. And I, I don't understand how Raul managed to convince um, Josh Kroenke that actually he was going to move away from a data-focused approach to football and he was going to lean into a, like, a few of his favorite friends to, to, to come up with the deals at Arsenal. Well, to be fair, he, he convinced Gazidis to hire Emery, so he must be quite a persuasive bloke. Yeah. But I think... Um, and the weird thing is, like, Raul could still be in charge. Like, because obviously, you know, he's fair play to the guy. He 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 was at Barcelona, but he was like in this fixer role, and he's climbed to be, you know, basically CEO of Arsenal, which is a, a big job. He could still do that and embrace the data-led approach. He could still even have his contacts with agents and 
you make use of them as and when and, and they sort of nurture those relationships. But, but he's another one. It's like, what's, what is, what is, what does he stand for? What is his, uh, you know, what is his purpose? What is his guiding, you know, what's his philosophy? Because mm. I, I would think that if you wanted to be the, the football leader of a, of a world-class club, winning was the most important thing, but it, mm. it doesn't seem to be that, you know, cause he's going against, you know, what moves football clubs these days and it's data he's getting yeah. rid of important scouts he's leaning on people that are giving him bad advice he's leaning on conflicted people really i mean why would you ask a super agent who should be the new right back at arsenal why would you do that do and you think there's any plan at all to to bring in uh, to who has any plan to bring in a scouting setup or refresh it because i understand there was you know a lot of scout well, this is this is my reading of it. Maybe I'm wrong, but like there were quite a lot of scouts, and so there weren't, and it wasn't really the most effective or efficient setup. So they released some. So do you think there's any plans to like overhaul it and actually bring in a a new sort of fit for purpose scouting setup? I don't know. I feel like the the efficiency thing is you know it's like when you go into a hairdresser and they're like, oh, who cut your hair last time? This is terrible. Um, I I don't. I'm not sure how much I buy into the um, the scouting issue. I mean, like maybe we were trying to, to to save money, but I think that Raul and Edu are under a lot of pressure now. I don't yeah. think that this can go on for much longer. I mean, like Raul's performance at Arsenal has been abysmal, um, and there's no forgiving it. You know, he's been here since 2017. Um, you know, we're, just, we're we're potentially going to lose Balogun. Um, because uh, uh, you know he's going to Jaden Sancho us um, because we haven't been convinced him to sign a do- new deal. We might lose Saka um, yeah, on a free transfer. That was going to happen. That's still happening. Right? Yeah, but it's still not tied up. We we still haven't tied up Obama Yang. I mean, we actually hired um, a person from um, the Sky Cycling team to look after contracts, and we've never been in a bigger mess. So it's just like when you look at all these things, like what was Raul? What did Raul come in and say? You know, Emery said he'd come in and fix the defence. Raul came in and said that he wouldn't let players go any lower than two years on their deal without selling them. It's not living up to it. He's, but he is he is quick off the mark. If there's a Kia player that needs to be signed, um, yeah. but quite happy to let Aaron Ramsey go on free. So strange. I mean, I think you ultimately you have to look at you know, what's happened since he's been in, in control and we've fallen down down the table. We're not even, we're barely making the Europa League. I mean, we're lucky if we make it and that that's with him. And I think mate, largely the contract issues are, yeah, sending long-term and he's taught the talk but not walk the walk. But ultimately the big bet he made was on Unai Emery and keeping him on after a terrible end to his first season and then sticking with him for so long. Uh, during the second season when it was totally obvious to everyone in the world that he wasn't up to it. Um, and that that could come to define his his sort of reign as CEO or co, co-CEO unless he can do something, do a madness this summer and, and make help us compete again. Yeah, and there's never been, well, there's never been a better excuse to do a madness. Like this would be the opportunity to say, what are the problems that we have to solve this summer? Um, firstly, we've got to reduce the wage bill from two hundred thirty-two million pounds a year. It is obscene. Um, yeah. Secondly, um, what's what's been our biggest challenge? Uh, we can't sell players. We are very, very bad at selling players. Chelsea sell 
better than Arsenal. Liverpool sell better than Arsenal. So what's the solve for that? Um, you can reduce the wage bill by moving on senior players or ending their contracts. And then you invest in young talent that's had two or three seasons in Europe, players that have really high ceilings. Like get, in the, get, get, get into those places um, where Leipzig and Salzburg get into and, and bring those players in or get the players that those clubs have got before um, they make their big moves yeah. um, elsewhere and then grow, start growing the value. Like Liverpool's success was built off of a Coutinho sell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we, we've seen it, I mean, to be fair, we've seen it work with someone like Iwobi who didn't cost anything, um, but obviously we've been able to make some money off. So it, it, like it's, it's obvious that system works. I, I don't know, I still feel very... Um, I don't know about it because I just kind of think it's there's no way they can. I mean, but first we can't afford to keep acting like that, and if if we keep sort of sliding down the table, then they're not going to be in their jobs for very long either. So you'd have to think they're going to they want to sort of address this and sort it out. I think the one hope that we've got is that a blistering write up by um, uh, the Guardian doesn't help. And yeah. um, you know, you say by you? No, not no. I wish, I wish. But like, listen, the the my uh, my whinging um, it, it like pays off when people start writing about it. Incredible outlets, but um, I think the I think the athletic article about um, agents followed up by a very well sourced story by Nick Ames in um, in the Guardian. Like that's gonna that's gonna put pressure on you know I don't I don't think billionaires like to be embarrassed and I think that uh, Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke are being embarrassed at the moment because they put their trust in people that I don't think deserve their trust um, and look proof is in the pudding we're shit but the only the, the but the one thing that I think they have done right is they've invested in the right sort of person who you know you know who can bring the club forward like he's a, a young coach that yeah. loves the club. And if Arteta fails at Arsenal, his career is fucked because football is about um, ascension. Everything has to go in a straight line up. Otherwise, you die. Jose Mourinho never really made a bad move. Uh, Pep Guardiola never made a bad move. Mikel Arteta has to make Arsenal work. And yeah. I think that he is perfectly suited to turning young players into superstars. I think he's got uh, good leadership. Um, I, I think he speaks really well with the fans and I think people are, gonna, uh, are starting to trust him. So if they can build the right infrastructure around him, switch back to being data focused, um, we could still progress. But my, my concern is that um, they're, they're so brazen about what they're doing at the moment that you, know, you, you wonder whether they even care, <laughs> whether they're just going to milk Arsenal for all it's worth um, and then move on to the next project. Oh, God. What a, what, a what, what a Debbie Downer! Look, there's hope though. You know, like if Liverpool can um, Liverpool can go from eighth in the league um, to European champions in five years, you know, and just doing things the right way, making the right decisions, uh, and, uh, and and hiring brilliant talent throughout the club, um, then then there's every chance. And uh, you know, I think I think we've got a great foundation with some good young players, um, a yeah. good coaching staff that that does things the right way. So. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully Raul will be scared for his job and he'll lean on some actual experts instead of trying to pass himself off as one. 
Yeah. Welcome, Thomas Party. Welcome, Thomas welcome, Thomas Party. That's what we need. <laughs> All right, Alex. Well, um, we banged out an hour there. Um, I can see the the dark window um, behind you. Um, Six twenty here, so that means it's late there. Um, thank you for joining the pod. No worries, man. It was great fun as always. Awesome, and uh, I will uh, well, catch up with you um, after the next game. Ciao, This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.